Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if... If you give a dad a podcast. I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff. Hardcore. You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here. Okay. I had an axe handle with a twisted T on me. <laughs> right after that <laughs> twisted T video went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked the dude in the head with it. It was so... That's great. I'd like to thank this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want. I'm a, I'm a human and I'm a chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But... <laughs> so I took my kids with me to Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. I don't know how I should listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> you know, you be like, and then Robert said this. <laughs> if you give a dad a podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms. Did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas? Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Supermod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rotschke, Vern Ganya himself, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. Hello everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I want to tell you about a new podcast out called Fouls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees, you name it, they have them on there, folks. And I encourage you to listen to them. If you're on YouTube, watch them. They drop every Saturday. They have their podcast. And they drop it in the afternoon. So look forward to that podcast coming out. Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. Folks, you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. We are on here today because of you, viewers and watchers like you. In order to continue the podcast, we need to monetize our YouTube channel so we can get guests on that require financial compensation. That's where viewers like you come in. If you subscribe today, we can get that number up to 1,000. And as an incentive, the 1,000 subscriber will receive a free t-shirt just like this and receive a book from the legendary George Shire on his Minnesota golden age of wrestling from Vern Ganyu to the Road Warriors, signed by George Shire himself. So please get on there, tell your friends to subscribe today. And when you hit that 1000 mark, you're going to get a t-shirt like this. I'm going to reach out to you. You're going to be coming on the show as a guest and receive that book the Minnesota's Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Gagne of the Road Warriors, signed by George Shire. So get on there today, subscribe, and please enjoy the podcast. 
guest today is a photographer who has photographed many pro wrestling stars, matches, world events, as well as been in the ring as a wrestler, manager, and boxer. He's also written a book titled, When It Was My Life on Both Sides of the Camera. It is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Scott Romer. Scott, thanks for coming on today. Brian, thank you so much for having me as your guest. Oh. It's my honor to be a, a, to speak on Bumps and Thumps. Thank you. I appreciate it. When I reached out to you, you responded right away. Sometimes it takes time, and, and you responded right away, so I really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit, uh, starting out, about how you grew up. Uh, I know you're from Indiana originally. Uh, growing up, uh, life as a child, and, and some of your schooling, if you would. Well, I, I grew up as a hyperactive toddler, which led into my adulthood. Um, I always had a fascination for championship wrestling, professional wrestling. As a toddler, it was the first thing, as I turned on the station, it was the first thing I ever noticed. Okay. Uh, that, that was back in the days of the old black and white TVs with the uh, rabbit ears. Yeah. It didn't come in very well, and I used to... Uh, I bent the thing good enough to the antenna good enough to to get a slight image, I, and um, I was fixated with it. I, you know, when I was playing on the playground as a little kid, you know, uh, the the neighborhood bully would come up to you and say, "My dad is tougher than your dad. He could beat, and I could beat you up." And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably got a few beat up a few times, but. Um, um, the first time I turned it on and, and heard the adult wrestlers yelling at each other and saying the same thing, it rang such a bell in my mind that I fell in love with it instantly and watched it weekly uh, as, as, as a child. Um, um, I was hyperactive. I, I was, um, can't say thrown out of my schools, but they used to put me in the hall all the time. And, um, uh, my mom um, used to uh, stomp over to the principal's office. What's my son doing in the hallway? And um, uh, she pulled me out of the Indianapolis public schools and sent me to uh, a wonderful grade school, grade that went all the way up to ninth grade, nursery school in ninth grade, Orchard Country Day School. Yes. And, and uh, David McLean of Glow and Women of Wrestling fame was my classmate. And we became really good friends. And um, both of our parents used to drop us off at the wrestling shows. We would go together and um, he, would, he and I would bring our cameras and we'd sneak over to ringside, take a few pictures. The cop would throw us out. We'd go to the other side and lay low, take a few pictures. And um, our pictures were really good. And I started selling them at the wrestling shows uh, during the intermission without, without the permission of the building or without the permission of Dick the Bruiser. And this went on for uh, 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 probably well over a year. You know, uh, during the intermission, we'd pull out, we'd have a stack of pictures, we'd pull them out. I want this one and that one. And we would walk away with maybe $100. Oh, wow. Uh, which, which was good money back yeah. in the 60s. And, and uh, I was selling, my, my pictures were good enough. I was selling them 
to Norman Keitzer's wrestling news. He had a regional magazine. It was national, but it was regional. So he had WWF, AWA, Portland. They were different yeah. issues. And I would shoot for the uh, AWA, WWE Stranglehold Edition. Again, I would do this with, with David McClain. Well, um, it got the attention of Dick the Bruiser. And one of the head cops came up to me and said, Bruiser wants to see you right now. And um, they marched me up to the dressing room. And that sort of smartened me up. I saw all the wrestlers kind of huddled together, speaking with uh, regular English accents or regular American accents. And um, um, just past the wrestlers dressing room was Bruiser's, Bruiser and Snyder's. And they opened up the door, sent me to him, and uh, he said, I hear you're selling pictures. Yes, sir, I am. And, um, uh, well, the, what I've seen so far, they're really good, and uh, you're more than welcome to sell pictures as long as I get 20%. you got to give Wilbur Snyder and me 20% to keep on doing it. And that was my pass into the dressing room. We used to wait with a cooler beer, with the wrestlers and we were usually the last ones called and we would drink up as minors the leftover <laughs> staff here while Bruiser and Snyder drank their Japanese, let's see, Snyder drank champagne, Bruiser drank the Japanese beer and we would get fucked up in the dressing room <laughs> with the Bruiser and Snyder and he loved having us around. It was yeah. just David and I and we would close up the Indianapolis Convention Center, leaving sometimes at uh, uh, two o'clock in the morning, yeah. walking out with Bruiser and Snyder as the last people in the building. And wow. um, um, my my wrestling pictures gained the attention of Bill After, so I moved up from Wrestling News, which we pretty much uh, told him what we wanted, which was probably $50 per story. But if you do, I'm, I'm talking about wrestling news. If you do four stories, that's $200. Mm -hmm. and, um, the big one was Bill After's magazine. And, and um, I hooked up with him as a freshman in high school. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, amazing. And I want to talk a little bit about more with, with Dick the Bruiser. You became close to him uh you did marry his daughter talk about that relationship how that developed from the time you guys met in his office for those photos to being a member well, of the family well you know if bruiser went to japan they'd give me a call he'd give me a call personally and stick the bruiser on the phone <laughs> and, and um um, asked me to come over and take a passport picture. I had my own dark room, so I could make it the size uh, of, of, of a passport. And um, um, he would ask me to join him at the Channel 6 studios where they end Channel 4 studios in Indianapolis when they were doing the tapings. And I would help carry the big 32 and 72 millimeter heavy tapes out to his car. And glad to do it and sit around, watch the promos. And I got to learn a little bit about the business. Um, my ex-wife, Michelle, beautiful woman, was married to Spike Huber. And Spike ran off, ran away, left, 
with another woman and um and i moved in and um um six months later i was married to michelle and i was dick the bruiser's son-in-law and that uh uh during that time he created a role for me to play which was a manager they called me saw creechman i was a combination of eddie the brain creechman from uh, the Sheik's territory mm-hmm. and um, Saul Weinbroth, who was a well-known manager in the southern states, uh, Tennessee, and um, uh, so I became Saul Creechman, a bad guy manager. Wow. And uh, they really didn't train me that much, other yeah. than what I got in the ring. Um, um, I was actually wearing gym trunks my first few matches. And they were pulling them down and pulling up, <laughs> tying me up on a, you know, with with uh, uh, with my jock strap and, and chopping my chest. And uh, uh, Roger Kirby um, gave me my first pair of boots. Oh wow! Um, Sammy Desero gave me who was Eli, who was uh, uh, I. He was a tag team partner with uh, Mad Max, Sammy Desero, Supermax. And Mad Max, who became Eli the Eliminator, and in, in um, uh, for Fritz von Erich's territory, but um, I became the manager and um, uh, setting up the ring yeah. and yeah. Jack all trades, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but I was I was mentioning uh, I I yes I was married to Michelle Bruiser's daughter for about five years yeah. and. Um, she was a wonderful woman, but only had a spending problem, and and um, I just couldn't afford her, so yeah. um, I had to go. And then she married uh, the Golden Lion, and um, okay. uh, Tim Riplogo. He's a really nice gentleman, uh, uh, res- wrestling promoter in the Fort Wayne area. He became the son-in-law after me. Same thing. He couldn't afford her. So he uh, uh, brought me and Spike in on a wrestling show in Fort Wayne that he was managing. And Michelle uh, uh, led the way with the bruiser dog. And we all got into the ring somehow or another. We got knocked out or whatever. Um, Tim and I, or we were selling or whatever. But she ended up leaving with her first husband, Spike Huber. (laughs) And been married ever since living in a beautiful home uh the kids uh, are, are 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 normal and and doing wonderfully they're not kids anymore they're adults right. and i'm and, and and we're all friends you know everything's cool now i had a a, a a stroke shooting rip rogers high school reunion back in august and um uh i was in the hospital for over two weeks and um heard from michelle and it was nice that uh she was thinking about me so yeah. uh if she's watching thank you michelle and you always be in my heart yeah that uh i remember seeing that on uh, facebook with your with your stroke and when i saw you at cauliflower alley club i was very happy that you were doing so much better because that had just happened the month before and i was wearing one of those colescomy bags or whatever you call it you know mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't control my peeing and I thought my life was over and um um I you know uh, Bobby F- Bobby Fulton had throat cancer and his throat got 
clogged up and he was on a feeding tube. Well, I've, I'm on a feeding tube as well, but I outgrew it. I'm still wearing it. It's uh, right here. I don't mean to gross anybody out. But I'm sorry. You can't. You're going to. Uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Right. So, so um, you know, I thought back of Bobby Fulton and how he um, conquered his cancer, his mm-hmm. positive outlook. And I picked myself up and said, I'm not going to live like a, like a, um, interval or whatever the word is i'm yeah looking for um um and and so i uh, uh without use of a walker which i've still got um i went to the cac and it was the best therapy yeah i could i could have i walked the runway going to the airport mm-hmm. now, i was doing um, occupational or occupational and speech therapy so i was learning to walk again shortly before the cac yeah and uh, and uh, since i got home i haven't used the walker i've been a uh, a problem patient i guess you might say well no i mean it just shows that you're determined to get back to your normal self as much as possible and i commend you for that because some people would be feel defeated and just roll with it and use the walker and 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 do that so i i, I commend you for that sir I, well thank, I thank you very much i'm far from a hundred percent and my ring in ring days are probably yeah done you know i would manage every few months uh and, and hang out with the guys and, yeah. and it's it's nice I'm, I'm not real crazy about today's product yeah. but i put up with it because uh, i i still like to stay relevant and i've got a book to sell so i do go to yeah. uh different uh, fan fests and wrestling shows with my good friend rip rogers okay well that's great yeah we'll talk about that book here in, in just a few minutes a little more in detail I want to talk to you a little bit if we could about your traveling you know you did a lot of pictures there's a lot of photos you did your your you know, one of the most famous ones was the one that uh tales uh, dark side of the ring bruiser brody one um where was that taken at uh when you did that do you remember you know i think that was dallas texas okay because um yeah i think it was dallas texas okay i i um you know in my career as a professional wrestling photographer i worked during the heyday during the excuse me during the 80s Mm-hmm. with uh the all the major wrestling organizations um and i never had to reach in my pocket to pay for my expenses um i was working with japan's gong wrestling, wrestling magazine. magazine publishers are nippon sports my agent was wally yamaguchi and he took care of me and i would be a ghost photographer meaning my pictures were in a, a, another magazine called the uh deluxe it was also a baseball wrestling magazine in japan okay. baseball is the number one sport and wrestling is number two so that gave me the connections with anoki and and uh baba and and um and um um uh onita okay so um uh in addition to gong magazine i would work i was working with bill after now what i would do is 
Gong Magazine, I used to get the wrestlers' addresses and their telephone numbers and help get them booked in Japan. Okay. So I was over, I was a baby-faced photographer with all the boys. I never had problems with anybody. Whispers would be around, be good to him, blah, blah, blah. And with After, I did a lot of front covers, my most famous one being a uh, David Von Erich with the claw and Ric Flair, where you can see Ric Flair's dental work. It's a real close-up. Wow. I did that at in St. Louis. My big areas were I worked with Memphis, yeah. uh, Christine Jarrett, yeah. uh, Harry Jarrett's mother. Uh, I would work uh, um, all the different Memphis areas, you know, which was um, Louisville, Nashville, Memphis, um, um, and, and uh, St. Louis, St. Louis Wrestling Club mm -hmm. for Bob Geigel, president of the NWA, who was in partnership with Harley Race. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had good, strong, um, um, independent territories yeah. that I was working. I was sent up to work in Stu Hart's territory, AAA, um, Carlos Pinas, I think was his name, uh, who owned AAA at the time. Um, and I am also responsible for, uh, I'm, I'm known, I'm the photographer uh, for the infamous Onita stabbing angle. Let's and talk that, about that. Let's talk about that. Well, I, I was sent to Puerto Rico. They wouldn't tell me why. Met up with Onita, who had a limousine, and Jimmy Suzuki. Jimmy was in on it. And um, it was just Jimmy and me, Victor Quiñones, who was part owner of um, WCCW. Is that what it's called? Uh, World right. Council Championship w, Wrestling. W, yeah, World Wrestling World Council. WWC, yeah. Owned by partners Jose Gonzalez murderer of Bruiser Brody, yes. Carlos Cologne, and Victor was one of the owners, and he was with us the whole time. Um, uh, was picked up in a limousine, uh, driven to, uh, and I didn't know where they were taking me. I'm just really thinking it's cool that I'm with these stars. Yeah. And, and, and traveling, you know, you're not, you know, they want you there. You don't ask questions. Right. And, um, I grabbed uh, Onita's bag and walked into the building and um, sitting at the door was Jose Gonzalez. I walked in and looked him straight in the eye and waited for Onita to come, you know, and protect me or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it was really a, a strange situation. Then um, other photographers from Japan showed up. And uh, I still didn't know what we were doing. So they did the fake uh, contract signing. They beat up Onita, he gives. And everybody, all the, uh, everybody from um, the Puerto Rican area left the building, leaving us with just Onita, the other photographers, Jimmy Suzuki, and Victor Quiones. And at that time, after everybody left, Onita is taking a blade and, and slicing into his own stomach. And having me take pictures, uh, holding a stomach as though he had been stabbed. Now, he wasn't getting very much blood, so it didn't work. I was hearing him, he's, and then he'd slice it. And, uh, 
the, not enough to make a good visual. So I took, I told him, uh, you know, there's a lot of blood on your head and also what spilled on the floor. Just scoop it up. And put it there. <laughs> he did. And I'm taking pictures and I'm looking around like, why is everybody watching me take pictures? The Japanese. And then um, somebody pulls the goddamn fire alarm, oh, which no. brought the um, police firemen and an ambulance and and they load uh onita onto the gurney and i'm still taking pictures of all this yeah and then um jimmy suzuki says give me your film now or, no i'm sorry i'm sorry then we went to the um hospital where onita was at mm -hmm. and they had given him a stitch so i got pictures of him in his hospital bed <laughs> and and then uh, the limo took us to like a CVS, um, you know, a drugstore where he rented crutches and put on a sling. So I'm taking pictures of Onita hobbling around the airport with crutches and his head bandaged up and a sling. <laughs> and uh, that's when I when I was asked to give all my film to Jimmy Suzuki so he could fly it to Miami. Now, they've got a really bad um, shipping, you know, post office. Things just might not show up, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was important for Jimmy to take it to Miami and get it shipped out quick enough so it will make the front page of the evening newspaper in uh. Japan. And it did. There were pictures of Onita. Uh, pretending to be stabbed, bleeding everywhere, and a headline was Jose Gonzalez tried to kill Onita. Outrage photos by Scott Romer. In fact, they, they they put a picture of Onita and me at the airport when with oh, Onita no. in the sling. So uh, they were using me as a stool pigeon. Uh, the reason they were doing the uh, uh, contract signing was. Um, uh, that was they were going to bring Jose Gonzalez to Japan with Jose thinking that he was going to wrestle. And, um, um, you know, through the grapevine, I heard that the Yakuza out there who owns wrestling was going to take care of matters in their own hand. Wow. So, uh, and, and that is why they used me as the photographer because I was American and Did it was you, a stupid job. And yeah. It was, it was, a, a stooge job that they didn't let me in on and um yeah. uh, like i said uh, uh the country was outraged enough that uh it wouldn't be any problem to make people disappear if you know what i mean yeah did you get a lot of heat for that when you when it came out i i didn't That's i good. didn't because i you know i i didn't talk to anita after that and i wasn't getting so, that many wrestling assignments this was 1990. My peak was uh, like 82 to 87. So okay. I was in and out here and there. So I didn't hear from the guys. I didn't realize how serious and how far it went until somebody mm -hmm. sent me a sent me the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, there I am on the front page. And um, um, if you look at oh Hannibal. Hannibal's, if you look at the YouTube clipping mm -hmm. where I talk about it, that's the front page of the Japanese newspaper. Okay. There's, there's a, the, uh, the picture they use for the Onita stab 
or the the picture they use is the Onita stabbing angle that okay. they use, and then my commentary on his podcast website, blah blah blah. Okay. Wow. So, I, I I was um, I I wrote Jose through Kayfabe Memories, which was a territorial website very yeah. popular. Yeah. Mm -hmm in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, I don't hear too much about it, although I will look at it. But I, I went to the um, um, Puerto Rican section of it and, and wrote down after I figured it all out. It took me a while to figure it all out. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, oh, I forgot to mention it. I didn't mention this in the book. So I'm going to tell you, I've only told one other podcast. Let's hear I was it. Thinking, what made me so much different than the other photographers? No, I'm I'm good. Maybe it was my personality. I didn't cause heat. I dress good. But just like the wrestlers, I had girlfriends in different territories. <laughs> and I was used as a stepping stone uh, to, so they could get sort of get backstage or whatever. Uh, yeah. Or, or up to the ring or whatever to get noticed by the other wrestlers. But being a stepping stone and getting laid isn't a bad situation to be in. No. <laughs> I wouldn't give it up. So after <laughs> after these after the wrestling shows, um, these girls would pick me up, or girl at the time, different girl would pick me up. Yeah. You know, we'd we'd go back to their place and uh and do it. And um uh, and and I would then pull out my camera and they let me take nudies of them oh, so during my during my uh you know so i could just see i would send the film unprocessed to japan um and and uh federal express them and they would develop them themselves and can you imagine they're like oh <laughs> and then all of a sudden here comes the nudies so um you know, I I, you know, I did that four or five different times. So it <laughs> kept getting me gigs. So yeah. I became, you know, uh, I'm up there, I think, with um, 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 George Napotopoulos. How do you pronounce his name? George Napotopoulos. Right, 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 right. That's it. Right. And Bill after. And, you know, yeah. so I made my name in, in the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ruth. And I didn't, I forgot to, to mention that to Cosper for the book. <laughs> That's great. Let's talk about your book. When it was my life on both sides of the camera. You, yeah, put it, there you go. Amazon. Yeah, there it is. Amazon, you could get now, um, if they use the bump, if they can write me on my Facebook page. Okay. Uh, let me know that they are bumps and bumps. Um listener and i will pay for postage so wow, with okay. me you could get you know twenty dollars will get you the soft cover book okay i'll pay for postage write me on facebook uh message me i mean and, yeah. and i'll write back and then we could you do paypal or whatever yeah um but uh i will autograph it now also you could go to amazon and get it now i'm not going to get any i'm not my commission isn't as big when right. it's or John Cosper's isn't as big when it comes to uh, uh, when it goes through Amazon, but it's mm -hmm. one day. You and and it won't be it won't be uh, autographed by yeah. by me. No. So 
Uh, we'll have that description all down in the description, all your information about your Facebook and everything. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. So, you know, we, when I did the intro, you've been a photographer, uh, wrestler, uh, manager, even a boxer. So I, I want to talk about this boxing thing. I, I mean, that surprised me. How, what was that like for you? Well, my book is dedicated to four men that uh, uh, gave me opportunities at different parts of my life. I had a father that was not very nice to me. So I found four fathers during my youth and adulthood, one being Dick the Bruiser, another one being Sam Miniker, who was Dick the Bruiser's ring announcer, um, the other one being Fred Burns, who was, was a Midwest boxing promoter, and uh, Dick the Bruiser, Fred Burns, um, Sam Minnick. Okay, I, na I named them all. And, uh, and George Randazzo, I apologize. George Randazzo, who was president of the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. And that's owned by, that, that is being, their directors are a lot of uh, uh, influential um, uh, wise guys, I guess you might say. Um, <laughs> It, it still exists to an extent. Yeah. And yeah. I became George's personal photographer. Um, okay. Which, okay. which uh, and he was also a boxing promoter as well. And, and I became Fred Burns's boxing photographer. And we, we shared an office together. We promoted matches all over the country. Wow. And we wow. sent, we built records for fighters. And then what you call is, when when they box for big bucks, but you know they're not going to win, I was sent to uh, different places around the world to escort the fighters where they could fight the uh, homecoming, uh, the home Homewood fan or the Homewood boxer and mm -hmm. the the big ticket seller in, in yeah. different countries is what I'm trying to say. You call that cashing in. Okay, I was a mule. I, if, they, if they got $20,000, I would carry $10,000 back. I would also see to it that they got their work, road work in and mm -hmm. got their hands wrapped and got paid. You know, oh. I, sometimes I would chase down. It wasn't as luxurious as you think it would be. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of times I had to track down the promoter. But uh, I would regularly go to Denmark or Germany, France, Denmark. Mexico, um, Canada, and and take fighters and um, um, made made all kinds of connections in the boxing business, nineties uh, uh, and early two thousands, I guess you might say. Okay, I'm not doing it so much anymore. Yeah. But uh, but uh, and and a few times because an opponent didn't show up, I put on the gloves to save a fight and got my ass kicked. Which, by the way, is how I met George Randazzo, probably my most influential person that helped me with, he got me the gigs. You see pictures of me with presidents and yeah. prime ministers, yeah. and very, some of the most powerful people in the world. That's from George's connections. That's wow. George giving me, you know, uh, whispers in the ear, who to contact, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And he put in good words for me. Yeah, that's... So, Working on the book, was that, uh, what was that experience? Working with uh, John Cosper, uh, 
what was that like for you putting all that together well i met john at a fan fest uh i think it was heroes and legends um in fort wayne and he was selling uh pondo's book with pondo and i told john a little bit about me and you know hey you know i work with presidents blah 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 and and uh, a couple months later he called me up and said he uh he's ready to work on a book wow so, uh, I, I gave him my stories through a uh, tape recorder okay and, and and he sifted through it and made sense of the words that i said and uh, uh created a, a really awesome book you know my book reads like a work but it's a shoot the whole time yeah uh, you'll, you'll see how we there you'll you'll hear about fist fights and fancy restaurants and and um uh there was a fighter that i took to omaha to fight and uh he he came back and to me and said when when is my fight again he forgot all about it oh. he was you know punch drunk you know losing yeah. it yeah. actually it was a very articulate kid um but but um um you know boxing has a way to make you a little nutty and stuff like that yeah so i uh, i would be a babysitter i guess you might say so I made my living through boxing and wrestling. When I wasn't doing wrestling stuff, I was doing boxing. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, lived off of a beer budget, but that's what makes it that much more interesting that I did find people to pay me to get these gigs in Washington, D.C., working with presidents and getting Secret Service clearance. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. I, I read a little bit about that when you, the stuff you sent me. I was, I mean, you have a pretty amazing uh, career uh, for, for all you've done and and everything. I wanted to ask you this on the wrestling side: what was probably besides Japan? Obviously, your what was one of your other favorite promotions to work with and and take pictures besides Japan and. Indianapolis, Dick the Bruiser's territory. Well, you know, um, all of them had their, it was so much different than Dick the Bruiser's territory. So getting out there mm -hmm. and seeing what wrestling was like in other areas, seeing that they were not great big guys, guys like the Rock and Roll Express, the Von Erics, um, seeing these true athletes and much, much younger. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, it smartened me up on uh, every territory has the son-in-law or son that's the big superstar, you know. And so, you know, early on before the WWF took over, I, I did uh, Calgary, Canada and, and saw, uh, saw Bret Hart, um, a young Bret Hart, who then was like Spike Huber for Dick the Bruiser, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, a son, a son-in-law, blah, blah, blah. So um, I got to see that there's different wrestling out there, guys yeah. that are in shape. They were using music. And uh, um, I have a good relationship with a lot of them still, yeah. a lot of the old-time guys, uh, thankfully through Cauliflower Alley Club. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, getting involved in that, you're one of the official photographers. You're on the website. How did you get involved with the the cac well you know i've been hearing about it for years and uh, even uh 
before, even when Mike Mazurki was the president, mm -hmm. uh, he was an actor. Um, um, and then, um, you know, uh, I never really paid a lot of attention about should I go or whatever. And uh, uh, 2011, I think, was the first time I went and I fell in love with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Darla Skaggs, who makes you feel uh, yes, very yeah. warm and welcome. She was a, a big fan in St. Louis and, and used to uh, was used to talk to me every show that I went out there. She was like uh, family. And yeah. so, you know, there was a 30-year period that I didn't see these people. And then um, we, we connected through Cauliflower Alley Club. And they're still like family. We we didn't miss a a, a beat on on our friendship or yeah. or talking about when this happened. That you've got Herb Simmons, yeah, who, um, uh, a great man. And, and mm -hmm. for, I'm I'm really happy with what they've done with the uh, new staff. Rich Engling, I think yeah. is his name. Yeah. Uh, you've got Brian, of course. You've got Darla. And uh, even even uh, Barbara Brody, Barbara Goodish, yep. uh, helps out. So, um, you know, I still have a lot of enthusiasm, and I feel, you know, it's a club that will have me as a member. Yeah. And so I do the pictures and uh, send them. I, I don't know what's – I have no control on what's used for the ear, mm -hmm. but uh, um, I, I, I send pictures yeah. and enjoy doing it, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's a great organization. I went this past fall. That's how I met you. Uh, I absolutely enjoyed enjoyed it. My wife went with me, and she actually enjoyed it. She's not a big wrestling fan, but she liked the interacting with the group and the people there because they're it's very friendly. It's you. It's very fan friendly oriented because uh, the fans are there. They you know to pay tribute to these great legends and it was it was a lot of fun i i really enjoyed it and i plan on we plan on coming back for for future uh reunions so we're excited well i was there the year before and uh tragically a lot of people that were there died of covid yeah um tom casante uh, he was a wrestling manager uh they hadn't heard from him they found him decomposing in his hotel room. I think Sabu found him. Um, you've got the built baker, red, red, the built maker, the belt maker, Reggie Parks, um, the, the former president, Carl, Carl Lawler died. Um, um, uh, the referee, um, oh God, what the heck's his name? The one of the, the old referee. And um, uh, there was a, uh, uh, a great big i can't recall his name great big wrestler they all died of covid man yeah. and and i was sitting in between and had contact with each of them and um so you know i can't stress enough how how important it is to get your shots and to get your booster because i would have been a statistic just like them yeah i understand that so yes so one more question before we leave. What are you doing now? Is there anything you're working on? Some projects or just well, getting healthier? I know you're doing that. So is there any projects you're working on or anything? Well, um, Rip Rogers and I have been going to uh, different wrestling shows and supporting them okay. as 
as well as um, selling our book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, until I get better, I'm not taking on any stressful jobs. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, sitting there and selling your book, talking to fans, it's it's enjoyable. And having Rip there, we have a good time. Rip is my roommate, by the way. Oh, okay. Right. Great. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, he's he he's from Indiana, and I was around when he got his start. And he's seen me at different parts of the country. Yeah. So we have a lot in common in that respect. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Scott Romer, sir, thank you for coming on. Buy his book, ladies and gentlemen. I'll have the information down at the bottom. Like he said, if you will put his Facebook uh, information on there, message the man. He'll pay for the postage. You just, uh, and he'll sign it, personalize it, sign it, autograph it for you, and send it to you. So, Mr. Romer, thank you for coming out today, sir. I really, Brian, really we got to do this. We got to do this again. You were a lot of fun. Well, thank, thank you. you very much. And anyone listening to me, thank you for taking the time. I enjoyed it. Call me again. We'll do it one more time. Yeah, I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. If you're watching, folks, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't, please subscribe, and we will talk to you soon.